Welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. Today's podcast is part of a mini-series engaging quality leaders from our Mayo Clinic Care Network to discuss what it means to be getting back to the basics of healthcare quality work. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic and the vice chair for Mayo Clinic Quality. I'm really glad to have my colleague, Sherry Nemec, co-hosting today's discussion. Sherry? Welcome, everyone. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation and Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. You know, Dr. Morgenthaler, throughout this year, we've been listening and learning about not only pain points, but success stories from quality leaders that are part of our Mayo Clinic Care Network, both here in the U.S. and internationally. And from these conversations, we thought, well, wouldn't it be a great idea to talk with some of these quality leaders during our podcast so we can share their thoughts and perspectives with all of our listeners? Yes, Sherry. These past years have been filled with so many kinds of upheaval, COVID, supply insufficiencies, wildfires, droughts, floods, hurricanes, heat, wars. I mean, it's almost apocalyptic, but anyway, it's <laughs> right. all magnified the complexity and busyness and feelings of being overwhelmed, you know, I think these can easily stress and distract organizational plans and ultimately impact healthcare quality. So quality leaders ac across the whole globe are telling us that they feel a need to get grounded, to get back to the basics. But what does that actually mean? Our next guests are from Wellstar, a long-term Mayo Clinic Care Network member serving many communities in the state of Georgia. So we're really glad to be joined by Jennifer Dusty and Paul Murphy. Welcome both of you. Perhaps I could ask you to share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your roles at Wellstar. I'm Paul Murphy. Title is Vice President of Medical Outcomes. That's a quality and safety role and been here at Wellstar for a little over six years. I'm a physician by background, and I'm joined today by my dyad partner, Jen. Yeah, thank you, Paul. I'm Jen Juisty, and I'm Vice President of Clinical Outcomes for Wellstar Health System, and I'm a critical care nurse by background. Yes, thank you both so much. So we've been engaging in the discussion about now that uh, we've all been through the valley of the shadow of a lot with covid what do you regard now as your top pressing quality, safety, or patient experience issues? Really, as we have been moving through the pandemic, we are coming more and more to trying to harmonize, and it's beginning more and more difficult to tease apart safety and quality and experience, and really, we are headed toward uh, complete integration. So that question is a little hard for us to answer, I believe. We really need to get back to the basics and get our baseline back together because we actually have, we're in a competitive market. We have a lot of turnover. We have a lot of fatigue that everyone else in the country has had to. There's lots of other factors. We have inflation and price you know, factors and changing models of care, things like that. And all of that is just doing nothing but trying to amplify where we really need to wind up. We are moving toward integrating and bundling all of these three together. So it's almost like a bundle you think about in critical care and in care. But as far as, you know, not trying to really tease and itemize these, but trying to get back to where we're reporting our safety events and learning to see, we're all a little bit numb 
after that very stressful time, we're trying to get back to basics of actually when we have an event, getting to root cause and being very deliberate about that. We have retrained because we've had some turnover. We've retrained all of our patient safety folks to get back to root cause. And again, what was said, and I think we're there, it's not just about competency, but it's about becoming mastery on getting to root cause. I think we're trying to also finish some initiatives that we started either right after the pandemic started or during the pandemic. One of them I'm going to talk about that has a lot of spillover into these other areas, and that is our telemetry. We had some events where we were not as responsive as we needed to be for our patients on telemetry. We have done everything from learning how to replace batteries to empowering the medical technologists who are in the monitoring techs uh, to call a code if they see a lethal arrhythmia. And we have incorporated leader standard work to check on that. And we are really working that both using quality tools like lean in a safety project of deterioration and moving forward with that. We used to give a measure to all of our hospitals were part of a system and everyone worked on the same measure. We're trying to take it up a level and use a domain, like a safety domain, and work on the entire you know domain so that hospital A is working on their top priority and hospital B is working on their top priority. Jen, would you like to uh, fill in on that tailored fit approach? Sure. Thanks, Paul. To your point, historically, as an organization, we would look at what our top opportunities were across you know, multiple sites and have everyone work on something like central line bloodstream associated infections or inpatient mortality. But what we have found is that each site has somewhat of a different top opportunity or, or grouping of top opportunities. So this has really provided more autonomy, and I think it's going to propel us to higher quality results faster by really allowing each site to focus in on what they need to do. But we're being very data-driven about that. We've had numerous conversations, not only with our quality staff, but with the senior leadership of each hospital to make sure we're all on the same page about what the data is telling us. And then using a lean process improvement approach to solving those problems, coming up with what the top countermeasures are, and then holding ourselves accountable for, you know, experimenting, learning, failing fast so that we can then get to improved results and and then defining what that standard work looks like. I also want to reemphasize something that Paul said at the beginning around integrating all of our safety, quality, and patient's experience work. And I think we know from the patient's perspective, the experience they have in our organization includes how safe they are, the quality of care that they provide, certainly many of the other factors that we historically focus on from our HCAPs or patient satisfaction or experience surveys but we're really looking to take it a step further, looking at patient reported outcome measures. Uh, We know that CMS is gonna start propelling us into that space and some of our registries do as well. 
but we're really trying to challenge ourselves to think about quality and safety through the patient's eyes. Look at some of those historical measures, outcome measures, complication measures, but also understand what do they expect to achieve in terms of functionality or quality of life and measure ourselves against those standards as well. Thank you, Jen. I, I want to jump back to a, something that Dr. Murphy said about getting back to some of those basic pieces and about really being deliberate about root causes for reported safety events and retraining your patient safety staff. So are there any other refocusing efforts or the back to basics things that you're going back to such as that? I think there are a number of things. So in terms of that root cause analysis work, we realized that Oftentimes we were going through the motions and needing sort of the checking off the boxes. But when we stepped back and looked at events and challenged ourselves to think about if we consistently put these things in place, are we highly confident that we would prevent that event from happening across our organization? Or were those countermeasures directly associated with the root cause? we weren't as confident as we wanted to be. So I think that's an excellent example. But I think even on some of those things that I, I'm sure we've all worked on over the years and certainly before the pandemic, like preventing catheter-associated UTIs or, or CLAB-C, when we went back and said, are we still managing to the standard? We, you know, we did great improvement work five, six years ago. We're starting to see some of those rates creep up a little bit. Are we really following the standard? And so a lot of our focus has been not to reinvent the wheel, but to go back and create leader standard work to ensure those unit leaders are monitoring and identifying areas where we maybe we've drifted. Maybe we're not following those standards anymore, at least not consistently. No. So a lot of our focus has not been so much on creating new standards or solving problems um, de novo, but really managing to standard and creating that sustainability. So, you know, Jen, you and Paul both have alluded to, you know, dealing with changes that came about, you know, as, as we all dealt with the pandemic. Uh, you know, Paul, I think you, as many other organizations have emphasized, is just what the effect of turnover and loss of staff, you know, through the pandemic, what effects those ha have had. And then Jen making a case to say, Maybe we don't need as much discovery as we need application. So, you know, as you think about these, you know, two challenges that sounded like they were, you know, big challenges, they're certainly shared. What do you think are the big issues that you need to overcome to, to actually start addressing those issues? Well, I'll start with that sort of application piece. One of the biggest issues goes back to some of our staffing challenges and turnover so whether it's with team members that maybe weren't here when we established those standards and didn't go through that process improvement experience, or with our leaders who are oftentimes in the staffing numbers, perhaps providing direct patient care, and may not have as much time as we would like them to have to, to be really managing and leading their teams. I think it's up to us as leaders to figure out how we free them up to be able to be out there interacting with their team members and fully understanding what the barriers are for the frontline staff. And that is easier said than done. We recognize that that is a real significant challenge to make sure that our staffing is at a level that allows leaders to be out in the work and monitoring. 
And it also means that we have to set that expectation of all ourselves, all of us, to be out there watching processes, making sure that they are safe, high quality processes, and addressing barriers as we identify them. Yeah, I would say uh, making sure that we also have a fair and just culture is, is one thing we wanted to uh, put in place. We started rolling out the fair and just culture uh, use of that, uh, those principles back during the pandemic. Of course, that was somewhat slowed because of the focus on various peaks and valleys during that uh, time period. But uh, we're kind of back into the deployment just culture. We have really engaged and trained a lot of uh, folks in that journey, engaging with uh, HR for that. I've also incorporated fair and just culture use of a decision guideline and the peer review process and try to train the docs to, to those principles and concepts. And so that, that I am hoping will also Along with, you know, we really have a good uh, well-being cabinet at this point that, that's getting going. So really trying to focus some of our attention basically back on the, the workforce and trying to make sure they're healthy with psychological safety and feeling good about their profession, about their careers. And that will spill over into a safer and a better experience and a higher quality for the patient. Yeah, such an important point. Dr. Murphy, I'm interested to know from your lens, is there anything that you think is now easier in this phase of where we are with the pandemic than it was from before? I uh, look at this as easier. I'm not sure <laughs> Maybe not. Really easier, <laughs> but I reflect back and I've heard others talk about this. I've made this comment myself several times. It's what was easier during the pandemic, and I'm not sure we've hung on to as much of this as we should have, is that emergency response with the HIC structure really propelled decisions being made faster. And I keep asking the question, how should we keep that? What part yeah. of that should we keep? Because it really was good. Everyone was really on point, ready, working, focused. And I kind of miss that. I wish we could keep part of that. We we have a safety huddle once a week after the pandemic. And that is a small nugget of, of that. And it's helped us to uh, deploy uh, concepts. And it could be anything in the safety domain. I mean, anything from spilling hot liquids to the telemetry stuff to, you know, whatever, but uh, it takes, you know, that village. And the nice thing is everyone immediately understands, you know, what is there, what the obstacle is, and we have a tracking mechanism to hold ourselves accountable to fixing those things as a system. So, uh, Jen, anything you find uh, easier post-pandemic? Well, I think you've hit on the main thing, and I actually uh, had conversations with peers across the country last week, and they brought up the same phenomenon where we really were, during the pandemic, able to kind of become more agile and timely in our decision-making and had the ability to pivot operations 
when needed um, based on real-time data. And, and we were all kind of lamenting the fact that we seem to be losing some of those innovations or those measures that we put in place to deal with the pandemic. So I think it's going to take some real intentionality to go back and look at how do we make decisions? Have we added more meetings, more committee structure than we really need in our organization? Is there a way to be more nimble, but still maintain that dedication and discipline around being data-driven? So we don't want to make decisions without sufficient information, but we want to accelerate the action and, and shorten that time to action so that we can make faster improvements for, for the patients that we serve and, and the team members that perhaps are experiencing processes that, that don't work well for them as well. Well, I just want to take a quick second to thank both of you for coming on today and having this great conversation with us. I really appreciate it and all the best to Wellstar. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you.